Well, what's up? How's everybody doing? Good. Uh, I'm Berger, uh, so you can call me Berger. My name is Brian Berger, Next Gen Pastor. Love so many of you guys in this room. I feel like uh, Julie and I have been at Redemption Gilbert East Valley Bible Church since 98, 99, and we've seen this young adult's ministry for many years. Is there something I'm doing to make that ring? Um, and there's been different like seasons of this ministry. And I would just say, I feel like this is the friendly era. Like, uh, there's been, uh, yeah, there's been some not so friendly eras. So thank you. Um, I'm excited to be here and, uh, we're going to talk about an exciting uh, topic. Look at this. This is, there's joy in the house of the Lord, but we're going to be talking about disappointment. Um, Corey asked me to speak and uh, happy to do it. Very excited to be with you guys. And uh, I kind of asked him, hey, where, where are the people at? For youth, it's really easy for me to kind of pick topics and pick series because I know them. I know what they're struggling with. I know what they're going through. And Corey said, I don't know, something like navigating disappointment. This is a really challenging uh, season of life. And I remember what it was like to be in your shoes and absolutely struggled with disappointment. I'm going to start by just um, talking about a story. So when I was 25 years old, probably, uh, I had taken a job that did not pay well. Is anyone, can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah, you guys with me? All right, talk about disappointing paycheck. It was like (laughs) twice a month I was struggling with disappointment. Um, I had come, uh, Julie and I got married really young. We had kids really young. Uh, I had a job that could not provide for our family, and I just felt like our marriage wasn't good. Uh, we had been part of a church plant that was really this like beautiful, exciting thing that then kind of turned toxic pretty quickly. Maybe it was always toxic, we just realized it later, but um, that thing fell apart. We lost most of our friends. Uh, our house got broken into. They stole our dog. Uh, yeah, this is like, we make a blues song. Connor, if you could write a song. This is my 20s. It's called Burger's 20s. So I take this, uh, I take this job. It's not paying. We have a cruddy car. I had, um, this old Ford Taurus that somebody, somebody's grandma and they couldn't afford anything else. And I was like, I'll take that. And I was driving downtown, and it, it, uh, it broke. <laughs> Took it, it wasn't like fixable break, you know? And so I didn't, we had one car, and I was borrowing my mother-in-law's car to go to work, and I ran out of gas. And I ran out of gas because I'm trying to make it back home from downtown, and we're stuck in traffic, and I'm like, I need to get off and get gas but we are like, we have no money. And so I remember just thinking like, I'll apologize to Nancy when I turn her car back with like fumes in the tank, but I literally have no money to fill it right now. And then on Elliott and I-10, it ran out of gas. So I pull off to the side of the road and I remember just like being humiliated. I didn't want to call anyone. And I, I remember like the the narrative in my head, it was like I was turning my head towards the side of the freeway because 
I was so ashamed as I was walking down I-10 to get gas, and I did not want to call anybody, but I needed help, and I called Julie's dad, and he, he came down and helped me get gas, and he's like, we've all done it, don't worry about it. He was so kind, he made me feel great, you know? So I, the exact same thing happened like three weeks later. And it was like, felt like such a God moment because it was literally Elliot in the I-10. Like my car ran out of gas at the same exit. And I remember just breaking down and feeling like, geez, my whole life I've been able to like navigate high school very easily for me. High school was very easy socially. Um, college was fairly easy socially. Uh, academically, I got to play baseball at my, my dream college. Uh, there was just like a lot of things that it was like life was pretty easy. And then I became an adult and it just felt like I did not have what it take, took. You know, I can't pay my bills. And uh, it's a pretty de depressing moment in my life. My head hit the back of the, of the uh, car, the headrest. And I remember being so ashamed and I was not going to call Mark again, my father-in-law. And I was thinking, who in the world can I, can I call? And it was this moment where it was like the presence of God was so real that in the midst of my tears, he was like, why do you care so much what everybody thinks of you? Like, I care about you. I love you. And, and it was like this moment where it was like, yeah, like I'm so depressed and anxious and like feel like I'm failing in every category of my life because... I did not have something impressive to show everybody. And I felt like my friends started, you know, like they're owning a home and they have all this stuff and a career. And it was like, I was just looking at them like, I'm broke down again. I have no car. I don't have money to fill up gas. And uh, at that moment, <clears throat> God met me in a real way. And I remember singing praises, walking down I-10, and whereas before I had my head down and I was looking away in case somebody like saw me and it was just like my head was high, I felt full of joy. And I was like singing as I <laughs> thankfully still had the, uh, the tank, the gas tank in the trunk from you know, two weeks ago. And I was like, <laughs> Lord, I don't even have to buy one of these things, <laughs> you know? And I walked down, filled it up, walked back, filled it up, and I walked in. And the first time I ran out of gas, I remember Julie and I got in a fight because she had kind of like teased about it or something like that, just being fun. And I was like having a moment, and I wasn't having it. And I walked into the door, and I was like, babe, sorry I'm late. It happened again. She's like, shut up. It happened again. I was just like, I know. What is wrong with me? And we're laughing. And what a, what a complete difference from three weeks ago where I was like, my life's over. I suck. I can't be an adult. This is horrible. Everything I touch is failing to singing praises and joking about my failure and feeling like I still have a future. That's kind of the theme. If you ask, like, what is the theme? I didn't have tools at 25 to navigate disappointment. And I'm just telling you, if you haven't experienced it yet, you are going to experience uh, disappointment 
And uh, so I want to share some of those tools with you. When I think of navigation, my grandpa, uh, Arch Watkins, Papa, as I called him, was a navigator in World War II. He was in the Air Force, okay? So before GPS, how in the world, his job was to get this bomber, like, over to Europe, right? That's it. And you got no GPS. All you've got is stars and a map of the sky, and then you've got a view down on the ground, and you've got a map of the land, right? So if you can imagine Arch, Archie probably back then, is looking up at the sky, looking at the map, and telling and navigating this plane so that they go to their target. And then once they get over the target, looking at the ground, looking at the map, and helping, it, helping that plane get to where it's supposed to be. When I think of navigation, that's what I think of. So when we're navigating disappointment, here's, I'm going to talk a lot about where do we look, okay? Archie looked at the map, looked at the situation, where are we at? Look at the map. Look at the sky, look at the map. A lot of times in disappointment, we get stuck and we're just looking at the car pulled off to the side of the road and the bank account that's zero and overdrafted and you're just looking at that. And I'm gonna help us to know, we look at that, and then we gotta look at this. We look at our disappointment, our circumstances, but we gotta look at these truths. So in the next three messages, that's what it's gonna be. It's gonna be where do we look when things get disappointed? Look, I am not gonna tell you how to get rid of disappointment. I haven't figured that out yet. I'm probably gonna be disappointed tomorrow at some level. But I'll, uh, at least today, I have some more tools. Okay. All right. Let's see if this thing works. Please, Lord. Okay, perfect. Uh, let me pray first, okay? Let me pray. Father, what, uh, what you say is true, and what you promise we can trust. And you say that you love us first that your steadfast love endures forever, that you're a merciful God who is mindful of his people. And we're here, Lord, because we need you. And there's a, a hundred different scenarios in the room right now, and you know every single one of them. And Lord, we're going to open up uh, the word. We're going to talk about real life. And we want you to be kind of our North Star in this thing to help us. One of the promises is that if we ask you for your Holy Spirit, you will not deny him. And so we ask you, Lord, now for your Holy Spirit to come this weekend, but specifically tonight, and to move in a powerful way that aligns our heart to yours, aligns our mind to your truth, and helps us to navigate life uh, in your world, in your ways. God, there's... So much to pray, but Lord, Holy Spirit, come. Do your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I grew up in Scottsdale. I was like uh, in the old part of Scottsdale, and it was a habit, not a habit, but something we did fairly often when the weather was good. We would climb Camelback Mountain. How many of you guys have climbed Camelback Mountain? All right, we would climb Camelback Mountain, and I remember one time we got up to the top, and you know, me and my buddy, when you first get there, if you guys have done it, at first it's just like, you're exhausted, you're so glad that you're there, then you sit down and rest a little bit, and then you kind of, after you've sat down for a little bit, then you start to like 
start to look at the city and you're like mapping out, I think I can see my house. You guys ever do that when you're flying on the airplane over the city and you're like, what road is that? Okay, where is that? Okay, my house has got to be in. You find your neighborhood. There's a vantage point at the top of Camelback where I could see Scottsdale and I could see it in a way that I couldn't before. Now, I was a junior high boy and we kind of rode our bikes everywhere and all you could see is kind of the house in front of you and the street and you kind of navigated Scottsdale on our little BMX bikes, and you couldn't really get a picture of where we were in the city. But this one time, my buddy and I were up on the top of that mountain, and we started to look, and we're like, where's our house? And there was a green belt, like this wash that came from kind of my neighborhood, and we are like, okay, there it is. I can see that green belt. And it goes under Shea Boulevard. And like, oh, look, if we kept on going on that, look, it connects to, on Hayden Road, there's like a a big green wash area. And then we're like, oh my gosh, if you keep on going on that, it goes up to those golf courses, and then we end up at ASU. We pop out at the Salt River. So my buddy and I, we're junior hires, we're on our bikes, and next time we go on a bike ride, we're like, if we just get on this green belt, and we just keep on going, we're going to end up at ASU. So in junior high, it was probably, I don't know, 15, 20 miles, I don't know. We get on our bikes and we just start riding, trusting. We saw from above the perspective of where this path was going to take us. And sure enough, we pop out at the Salt River. Back then it was Club Rio right there. on the, Nobody's old enough except maybe the Dickinsons and the, yeah, Dan Ray. Dan, did you go to Club Rio? Yes, he did. Oh, man. Did you ever go to the 18 and under nights? Yeah, you did. Yeah. Club 411. Anyone 411? So me and my junior high buddy pop out. and for, There it is. We made it. We went all the way to ASU from Scottsdale as junior hires. The reason I say this is tonight what I want to talk about is that vantage point from above, the vantage point from the top of the mountain. You know, when we're navigating life, all we can see is the things that are right in front of us. We can see school. We can see these relationships. We can't see how it all connects. We don't quite know where to go. But from the top of the mountain, you can map it out pretty easily. Almost like Archie from up in the airplane could see, look at the map and navigate well. So we're looking for a right perspective. On the top of the mountain, we can see the city and we can map things out. We need somebody that has the right perspective that we can go to. When we're looking at our circumstance and then we look to that person, we look at our circumstance and we can look to that person. Now, the questions that we're all asking, and I think there's probably another 20 questions that we could be asking. Who are we? What is my purpose? How does the world work? What do I deserve? What is the good life that we're going for? What is a friend? What defines a friend? And how, what are my expectations for friendship? Who is my enemy and how should I treat my enemy? Where can I find satisfaction? Why is the world broken and what will fix it? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. (laughs) How many of you thought of that when I said, what is love? What is love? How do I cope with pain? How do I deal with them haters? How many thought, shake it off? Shake it off? Shake them off? You did. Dang. Someone as relevant as me right here. All right. 
all of those questions that we ask, can you just nod your head and say like, yeah, those are the questions. Those are the things that we're like looking for, right? All of them are things that have kind of been passed down. The answers to those questions come from outside of us. Most of what you believe about the world and the answers to those questions have come from somewhere else. Would you agree? They've been passed on to you by someone who's claimed to see the world from the top of the mountain. Now, some of you are in school and you have classmates and they walk in. There's these classmates that walk into the classroom and they act like they know everything. You know, oh yeah, this is it. They're telling you what's up. It's like, they're so confident. You're like, well, I'm just going to listen to what they're saying because they're so confident. They must have seen things from a different angle and they can tell how it all works. And I'm naturally drawn to that person. Like, tell me how to navigate this stuff because you seem really confident. Where, if we can get a little bit of interaction, where else do we get our answers to those questions? Where we look to those people and go like, man, they seem like they know something. I'm going to listen to what they have to say. Just blurt it out. Just blurt it out. Sports. Sports. So like sports celebrities, because you're good at basketball, you should be able to answer those questions for me, right? Politicians. Pop culture, parents, pastors, people. <laughs> yes, that, now that's a good one. We see life through the lenses, I believe, of the songs we sing. Okay? Now, there's influencers, and there's parents, and there's philosophers, there's politicians, but the reality is they kind of have a philosophy of the world, but what roots our life in that world, you know, what really makes me interact with that philosophy is when I'm down and I turn on their song, and they tell me exactly how I should feel. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I don't know if you guys have had this experience before, but there's times where, like, I'll listen to this song, and I'm like, babe, that's a bop. No, I'm not going to do that. No, that's a you. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going there. Jay, don't worry. And then there's another time when I'm in a deep, dark place, and I'm really suffering, and that song is actually speaking to me in a way that is just like, oh my gosh. Has it always had those lyrics? I've never heard those lyrics before, but right now it's like touching my soul. <laughs> Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. And we inhabit this world that has been created for us and described by the psalmists of our day. Now you go like, who the heck are these people? Here's why I chose these names and not your names. Okay. Because the people that you listen to, they were handed a worldview from these people. These are the people that changed the world. And, you know, someday, 30 years from now, Taylor Swift is going to be on this. But right now, she's on the list of people that inherited a worldview from them. Okay? David Bowie, Bob Marley, The Beatles, Madonna. Jimi Hendrix, Bob Dylan, Elvis, Michael Jackson, Prince, Stevie Wonder, Tupac. 
I know you listen to Tupac. <laughs> I had a mixtape full of Tupac, believe it or not. You're like, that explains why he's so cool. <laughs> Kurt Cobain in Nirvana. These people's music actually rooted my life in a view of the world like they were at the top of the mountain and they could see things clearly and I would turn on to their songs and my heart and soul rooted myself. It rooted itself into the world that they described to me. How should I experience love? Prince would tell me. How should I experience like vengeance? They would tell me. How should I expect the good life or what should I be chasing? They described a world and they had answers for me. One, listen to it like this. This is the first time I've ever been quoted. And it's because I'm quoting myself. <laughs> no one has ever quoted me till right now. There was a pastor that once said, songs root your life and your heart in a perspective one banger at a time. <laughs> Until we believe that's just the way it is. Do -do -do. Anyway. Yeah. Do -do -do. Yeah. Some things will never change. Do -do -do. Okay. In all seriousness, though, the amount of times that my kids are like, Dad, no, that's just the way it is. I'm like, who told you that's the way it is? You're saying that's the way it is. I'm saying... That is not the way it is. But we've been rooted in a version of the world and we've looked up to the mountain for these people to tell us exactly how to feel and what to chase and what to expect until we believe, no, dad, that's just the way it is. This is the way the world is. As narrated and described by the psalmists of our day. Now, if we could just do a study of that list. Mental health issues, suicide, drug addiction, broken lives. Here's the problem. They've set this ball in motion to where you believe that's just the way it is. And their lives living in that story have fallen to pieces. Do we consider maybe your musical artists are too young to have made to watch their life and how it's playing out? But someday you'll look back at the people that wrote the script for your life and you'll realize their lives are falling apart as they're telling you what it looks like and the real life from the mountain. But our souls are thirsting for answers to those questions. It's why their words impact us so much. And our emotions are longing for words to help us express it. When that song comes in and it just says exactly, you're like, yes, that's what I'm feeling, that word. And sometimes, like I think my daughter has some sort of strange, uh, it's not a spiritual gift, it's some sort of gift though. <laughs> if, you say, uh, if you say a word, she will finish a lyric with that word. Do any of you guys have that gift? You know, and you're like, um, you're like sweet. And she's like, home Alabama. And, um, you know, what were you going to say? That's another one. Yes. Okay. 
And the things that come out of us in life, especially my daughter, it's like the things you're going through in life, song lyrics come out of, your, out of your mouth and into your mind. You guys ever wake up and there's just a song that's just in there? <laughs> Some random dude from Google and his extreme wedgie. He has no idea that he made, him, he made his way into a church camp presentation, a, a photo he's been embarrassed about for five years. And I actually was like, I took this picture and put it into my presentation and then told Jen Desbeck, hey, could you find another picture so I can just replace it? And then I never get around to it. So this guy is the guy. The claim of the psalmist, and this is perfect. He's like a normal sweaty wedgie, cargo shorts up the rear. I, and he's just like confidently like, I know what's up, right? This is the picture of the psalmist. Disappointment comes from a wrong perspective. Our Christian experience makes no sense when we're living with expectations that come from a different world. They've described a world to you that is this kind of, look up here, this expectation, and yet you constantly find yourself here. And the distance between where I'm at and what I expect, this distance is my expectation. I expected when I got out of college and I graduated and I got a job that everything was going to be this, and yet I found myself here on the side of the road with no money and no gas and no pride, right? That distance is disappointment. And the reality is there's a lot of things when I was saying, this is my expectation, this is my expectation, that made me question God. Lord, really? I serve you? Like, I talked to people about you. I didn't, I didn't drink. I wasn't out partying. All those things that I thought was just like, this is what God wants for me. I was just like, these are the things I've done. And now here I am broke, and I'm a joke on the side of the road. I lived with expectations that were given to me by a different view of the world, a false story. I didn't have love. I had anger. I didn't have joy, I had disappointment. I didn't have peace, I had anxiety. I didn't have patience, I had hopelessness. I didn't have faithfulness, I had worldliness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. This is what the people of God as the Spirit is in us is bringing out of us, and yet there's sometimes we can find ourselves in a different story, and it's bringing up the opposite. Look at that list, anger, disappointment, anxiety, hopelessness worldliness. Jesus saw life through a psalm-shaped lens. Here's what I mean. Jesus trusted the psalms, and if Jesus is the Son of God, and he navigated disappointment. Do you guys know that Jesus was disappointed? You're like, no, he's perfect. Perfect emotions all the time. Yes, he perfectly was disappointed. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He mourned. Jesus wept. Like he had real emotions perfectly. 
Do you understand? And the things that came out of him in those moments where we look at the the darkest, hardest moments of Jesus's life and the words that we hear, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, on the cross, tortured and dying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have they forsaken me? That's a song from the book of Psalms. Something's happening to him. And it's given the psalm book, his playlist, which is the psalms, is giving him words to express his emotions. It's giving him prayers to pray in those moments. When we look at Jesus' life and what's coming out of him, we see his playlist, his lyrics. And I just say one of the things that's evident is when we're going through some of these things, the psalms of our culture are the things that come out of us. And we've memorized their scriptures and we've hidden them in our heart. And they've come up and bore disappointing fruit in the times of need. Look at just a quick glance at Jesus's life. There's this moment where he's walking through the temple and these children say, Hosanna, Hosanna, the son of David. And the religious leaders are looking at this and they're indignant, they're furious. And they say to Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? What they're saying about you? They're praising you like you're God? And he says, yes. Have you never heard? From the lips of children and infants, Lord, you called forth praise. You know that song we've listened to? About, you know, Psalm 8, when we're praising the Lord, and it says, even the babies and infants are praising your name. He's explaining what's happening in life. He's not surprised by what's happening. He's not confused because he's rooted his life in the Psalms that explain what his expectations should be. So when he sees babies singing, he's not like, what the heck is this? He's like, yeah, Hosanna, absolutely, Psalm 8. There's a moment that I think every Christian, once you've come across this verse, you get a little bit uneasy, and I think you're supposed to. When Jesus is talking about a judgment moment, when people will say, Lord, Lord, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. That moment, he's talking about Psalm 6. He's using the language and the lyrics of this playlist to say in the same way in Psalm 6, that is just like, all of those that are evil, all of those lawless people, depart from me. He's using that to describe these people that say with their mouths, listen, Lord, Lord, and yet their hearts are so far from God and their hearts are chasing fully after sin. And he says, I'm just telling you, I'm going to explain that through the Psalms. Remember that moment, depart from me. This is the song lyric that comes out of Jesus to help him explain, use language to help him explain what's happening around him. It gave him words to express his emotions. He's in the garden and he's praying. He's about to be arrested and crucified. He's set his mind on the cross and he knows what's about to happen. And all of his buddies have fallen asleep and he's there on his face praying. 
He prays, Lord, if this cup can pass from me, if there's any way that we can do this another way, yet not my will, but your will be done. He says, now my soul is troubled. There's a psalm on his lips. Those are the exact words of the psalm. And we just see these as Jesus' words, and what's coming out of him is the song that he's soaked his life in, is coming out in his deepest moments, and they're helping him navigate, and they help explain what's about to happen. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very hour that I have come. Jesus' songs gave him words to pray. Have you guys ever been in moments where you're like, I don't know what to say right now. Like, I can't pray. I feel, and I can feel towards God, but I don't have the words. The Psalms are those words. God's given us as a gift, these are the words to pray. And I don't know if you've been through the Psalms or not, but if you treat it like a playlist and just look at the song titles and you read those, it is every human emotion is in the Psalms. Every theology and doctrine is in the Psalms. Every life scenario seems to be in the Psalms. And when all these life moments come together with these emotions, it provides us the words to describe it and the prayer. When we're looking at our scenario to navigate this disappointment, I have to look up the mountain to someone who can help me, right? And the Psalms root my life and my heart and my understanding in that perspective. And you're going to either choose, I don't mean to pick Taylor Swift, but you're either going to choose uh, someone like Taylor to go, this is what you should think. This is what you should do. You want relationship advice? I've got tons of it because I'm great at it. (laughs) Or... Jesus, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief that knows how relationships work because he designed it and he made it. Who are you going to let your heart soak in their words so that in those moments the expectations come out? Eloi, Eloi, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a legitimate prayer in your prayer life when you're hurting. Lord, why have you forsaken me? And his songbook pointed Jesus to trust his father who is trustworthy. Okay? You get into things and you're like, man, this doesn't seem like God's on my side. This doesn't seem like I can trust him. It looks like those people over there, maybe they're the winners. I should listen to them. And Jesus' songbook constantly will and has always pointed to a trustworthy God who's in control and he's good. He's mindful of you and he will make your path straight. Let me ask you this. Does your playlist, when you fill your mind and heart and soul with those words, are they words that are constantly pointing you to trust in a trustworthy God? Because my guess is that some of you that struggle with doubt and struggle, struggle, is that you're living in a different world. And the answers to the questions 
are different answers than God, and you have different expectations, and you're feeling disappointed in Him because He's not living up to their expectations. Does that make sense? So here's like the review. We need Jesus' songs. We need Jesus, okay? We need Jesus, but Jesus was constantly singing these songs. It helps them explain what's happening. It helps others to know what's going on. It gave us words to express feelings. It gave us words to pray, and it constantly pointed us to a trustworthy Father. Jesus' songs give us different answers. The authors of the New Testament are trying to get you to see that perspective. The authors of the New Testament saw that those psalms were trustworthy truths from the top of the mountain that had real perspective. And we're just going to walk through every single verse in the New Testament that talks through the psalms. You guys ready for this? That's just the picture. We're not going to walk through it. But I want you to understand the Apostle Paul. Many of the words that you memorize his scripture, he memorized the Psalms. And he's passing it on to you. This is the world that they lived in. This is the perspective they had. So whose perspective do you trust? Wedgie boy? (laughs) Or the king of kings? We got to look down the mountain. And I'm just going to say, if we could like walkie-talkie, okay? (laughs) There's no need for (laughs) walkie-talkies. We could ring somebody at the top of Camelback. We're like navigating, like, well, junior high BMX bike. And you're like, I've hit a dead end. Where do I go? And they can tell me where to go. On the top of the mountain, the psalmist is consistently saying this, okay? This is the world that the psalmist is telling you, you can trust this view. You can inhabit this world. From the top of the mountain, I want to tell you there's a God who loves you. He's the God of love, and he's a God that cares for you, cares for you. Psalm 8. You have set your glory in the heavens. And when we look at the works of your hands, the sun and the moon and the stars, what is man that you are mindful of us, human beings that you care for us? You have crowned us with glory. This God that created all of this is mindful of you and cares for you. That's the world that you live in. He's not a distant God. You're not alone. From the top of the mountain, the psalmist sees, and there's enemies. There's, there's uh, enemies waging war against God and God his, and his people. When I experience adversity from people, it's not shocking to me. Because I live in a world where there's an enemy of God, where there's evil in the world, and there's a battle. And I don't go, God, what's up with this? I thought when I followed you, everything was going to be easy. He'd say, you didn't get that from me. Because Jesus lived the perfect life, and he was met with his enemy. And we, he's promised that we're going to experience adversity and enemies. And he's instructed us on how to deal with enemies. Do not overcome evil with evil. Do not take up the way of the dragon against the dragon. 
who overcome evil with good. There's an enemy from the top of the mountain. There's an enemy within us. Why do I struggle so much with sin? In the Psalms, it says, my iniquities are always before me. I acknowledge my transgressions. I know it's there. And from my birth, it's been in me. Lord, have mercy on me. My iniquities are more than the hairs on my head and they can't even see because they're always right in front of me. From the Psalms, it explains, gosh, why do I always struggle? Why is there something inside of me that is bent towards sin? Where I'm so disappointed in myself. The Psalms say, there is an enemy out there and that enemy is also in here. But there's a gracious God who forgives and restores consistently the call in the Psalms is to a merciful God who can heal and bring salvation. And he is consistently, it says, his steadfast love, his grace endures forever. His steadfast grace, his never-changing grace goes on forever. He is a merciful God. Mercy is someone who picks somebody out out of impossible situations. You're on your BMX bike and you see an impossible situation. You're like, what am I supposed to do? I'm a hopeless. This can never change. And I look to the mountain. There is a merciful God in the world. You cry out to him for mercy. And you call on his mercy. And the psalmist give words to, Lord, your mercy, your steadfast love. Come, save me now. Do not delay where are you, Lord? Where is your mercy? Let your steadfast love save me in this moment. There's a God who is strong. He is a strong tower. He is a refuge. He is a source of my strength. When I start thinking about my own strength and my own power, the Psalms consistently point, root myself in him. He's my refuge. He's the victorious one. He's going to fight the battle. He's going to give me the power. He created the heavens, and I'm his kid. And he's going to be my shepherd and father that moves me through life. And he is a victorious God. And we're going to talk about this later in the week, but here's the deal. How we get through disappointment, I'm convinced one of the major ways that Scripture tells us to deal with disappointment is to be thinking ahead of the victory that we will someday experience in the new creation. And the New Testament authors are constantly saying, I can endure shipwreck, beatings, abandonment, imprisonment, poverty, all of it. Why? Because of the hope of the glory that is coming in the time to come. You are taught by your psalmist in this, that this is the only life you have, and if you feel like you're falling behind, your life's over. You have one life to live, and it sucks, and you're disappointed, and you just wasted it. You only live once. The psalmist says, if this life is disappointing, that's okay. Because there is a future hope in the glory of God and the new creation that will be forever. This right now is not you only live once. And you have to get all of these experiences, otherwise you're failing. Okay. We're going to root our life in reality. I'm going to finish. I'm just going to read Psalm 40, and then we're going to be done. If the band wants to come up, this is all, so I'm finishing with this. I want you to close your eyes and the psalmist is going to describe a world to you. And these words and these prayers 
Let it shape your expectation of God and the world. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he he turned to me, and he heard my cry, and he lifted me out of a slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set me on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand, and he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And many will see and fear the Lord, and many will put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods, the psalmists of our day. Many, Lord, my God, are the wonders that you have done, the things that you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of all of your deeds, there'd be too many to declare. Sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but you opened my ears. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It's written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is in my heart. And I proclaim your saving acts to the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak. I speak of your faithfulness and of your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. I speak. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your faithfulness always protect me. May your love and your faithfulness always be my protection. For troubles without number surround me. I can't even count the number of troubles. My sins, they've overtaken me. I can't even see. They're more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails within me. Be pleased, Lord, to save me. Please save me, Lord. May it please you to save me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled in their own shame. But may all who seek you, Lord, rejoice and be glad. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I'm just poor and needy. As for me, I'm just in a broken down, borrowed car with no money in the bank and no gas in my car. But will you just have a thought of me? Will you think of me? Because you're my help and you are my deliverer and I turn to you, my God. Please do not delay. Father, we're so thankful that in the midst of difficulty, Lord, we have your word and these truths that don't just point us to comfort. Lord, they point us to you and you are the God 
who is the refuge and the strength and the lover and the merciful God and the patient God and the restorer and the healer. That God came and put on flesh and dwelt among us. And he is our savior and he is king. He has risen from the grave and he has died on the cross for our sins and he has promised new life. And we sing of his name and his praise as the one who is on the top of the mountain, who sees clearly, Lord, fix our eyes on Christ. And as the psalmist prays and speak of your glory, Lord, I pray in song right now, we just respond in our hearts to the reality of a real world and a real God who is glorious and wonderful. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.